Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 237. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, happy to be joined by a first-timer on the podcast, Mandy Schneider. How's it going, Mandy? I'm good. How are you? I am also doing good. I've been wanting to have you on, and you had an awesome topic based on some stuff that you had disclosed on social media recently. Yeah. So with that said, how about I just turn this over to you? Give yourself a quick intro. Tell everyone who you are, and then we can get going. All right. Well, again, I'm Mandy Schneider, like you said. I train out of Soul Fighters, Texas, in the Dallas area. I'm a purple belt under Mateus Galval. I've been trained since I was about almost 14 years old. I just actually turned 19 on Sunday. So that's good. I've been trained for almost about five years now. But yeah, I mean, that's a little quick quick summary about me. Jiu-Jitsu is what I love and it's what I do. Man, that makes me feel old. When I was that age, <laughs> I hadn't even heard of jiu-jitsu yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> well, hey, let's talk about this because I know that you are a pro competitor and you've been talking recently on your social about kind of balancing the the ups and the downs and particularly yeah. the downtimes when bad things happen, when things don't go your way, when everything has kind of fallen off the rails and it feels hopeless. How do you get back on track? So with that said, I'll turn it over to you and you can tell the whole story here. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, ever since I started just like, you know, I've always had ups and downs, especially, but I mean, especially the last couple of months, I'd say it was after Nogi Worlds, I'd say, is like I got third there. And I think I was just like over the holidays, I was like so burnt out and everything like that. And so, you know, I experienced a lot of like lows there, like all the competing, like nonstop. And then after I decided, like, okay, I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to fight Europeans. I'm going to like keep going. Just experiencing like a burnt out feeling that I've been feeling for a while from like outside life events happening that, you know, I just refused to acknowledge and it was like affecting my training a lot to where training became a place where I decided like became critical of myself so every time I trained I it was always the you know not good enough or you're not like this training partner or you compete but you don't do it good and like you don't get the results you should so really just experiencing those like lows and then not getting the results you want so really it's just kind of like was combating that for a while about it was like a solid four to five months just weighed down you know it's like training but not training because I wanted to train because I had to in a sense because I was like oh I'm I need to compete it's what I need to do and so I signed up for like Europeans right for Nogi Worlds I remember not even really fully enjoying the holidays because I was like no I'm gonna stick to like my diet and everything like that like nutritious diet 
and I was training for Europeans. And then I actually ended up pulling out of that tournament because of my mental health. It was so bad. So that was like the first time I ever really had to do that for, especially a major tournament, and especially at Europeans. So for me, that was like a first time to do it. I was like, I had to acknowledge like I'm not okay. And like, if I go there, I'm not going to be the athlete I should be. So really to acknowledge that was kind of like the first time I did that. So that's a really interesting situation because it sounds like it's more than just the result, right? Yeah. I mean, a common problem with competitors is they have a result in mind that they want to achieve, and it can be really hard to accept when you don't get that result. But it sounds like what you're talking about is even beyond that and just into general burnout to the point where you're, you've kind of preemptively identified that going to a competition wouldn't be good because you're just not in the right headspace. Am I correct there? Yeah, definitely. So it's like even leading up to like all the training I experienced, it was mainly the outside like life events that were affecting my training. Like you can have so many competitors or even non-competitors. Like, you know, like you could have like a relationship that's not going well or something with your family or your health. For me, it was just my mental health. I just fell into a deep, deep depression again, which is something I struggled with a lot as a child. But now it was coming back just with like in a different wave of things that I hadn't experienced a long time. Honestly, I was fighting before Nogi Worlds, but it was something, you know, you just put off until the end. And so I did. I put that off until the end of Nogi Worlds. And then it just all hit you in one time. But for competitors, especially, it's like to pull out of tournaments for your mental health is something I think that is now getting more recognized. But it's definitely a hard thing to do because as a competitor, you're taught you have to go give 100% no matter what. But it's like, I can't go there and give my 100% if mentally I don't want to be there in a sense like that. Like I'm not loving the game. Yeah, I understand completely. It is interesting because I think, like you said, things have changed a lot in the last few years, but people still look at mental health issues as different from physical health issues. If a competitor says, hey, I broke my leg, I can't compete. No one's going to question that. Yeah. But mental health people don't seem to understand that mental health problems can be just as debilitating as a physical issue, if not more so. And I think sometimes people who haven't been through this themselves, it's easy for them to downplay that and to not understand why someone would pull out in that situation. But I'm glad you did, because like you said, it it normalizes this and makes it easier for people to do that if they need to in the future. Exactly. Especially it's like as a competitor, because it's like you go there in in a sense, if you compete when you're not at your best, like you're going to come out the other side worse. So for me, that actually happened at Pans, like this depression, this wave of not training. Anytime I train, you know, you get in that mindset where then it's like you go to training, you're not good enough, you're getting smashed, you're comparing yourself to your teammates who are winning, or you're comparing yourself to people on social media. Or for me, a lot of it was the pressure. I always, (laughs) I always was like, man, these people are telling me I'm like, really good or that like I'm a high level competitor I like I would cringe when I'd hear people say like oh yeah like you're good like you're a good competitor I'd be like man I don't think I am (laughs) and so like for me it was that pressure that I was feeling too to be like the good you know jujitsu practitioner that people were telling me I am and so you know it's like you just keep pushing down that feeling that negative energy just because you're like I gotta keep training I gotta compete because this is what I'm supposed to do. 
So do you see kind of the the source of this problem as being something related to jujitsu and performance itself? Or is this more just because you've got so many expectations that you've piled up on yourself that it becomes overwhelming at some point? I think definitely it is a mixture of both. Like for me, I'm a very self-critical person. Whatever I do, I always want to make sure I, I give 100% and it'd be perfect. And I think a lot of jiu-jitsu athletes are like that in a sense. You know, they're like chess. It's like chess players. Like everything you do, you, you want it to be precise. But a lot of it is like the goals and dreams I have. You know, it's like you put, I put so much pressure on myself to achieve those goals. And I'm a very highly critical person. So even what if I win or compete, it's like whatever I did, it's still like my mentality was it's not good enough. Like I could have, had a great training session or let's say I could have won a match and I would say but it's not good enough I didn't do x y and z and so really it was just being stuck in that negative mindset of I couldn't ever acknowledge anything good and I always had that pressure on me like I was putting that pressure on me to be exceptional and it took away all of my enjoyment from jujitsu really yeah it's interesting you bring that up we had a Liz Mitrovich on the podcast recently, and she talked about her own battles with perfectionism, which is a kind of a related problem and very another very common trigger <laughs> for depression and anxiety, just this need yeah. to do everything perfectly the first time. But in reality, that very rarely is how things shake up. So if that's your expectation, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment and problems in the future. Yeah, for sure. And again, like it's not even just like the in training like perfectionism it's like the outside of life it's like i already i tr- struggled with depression and anxiety as well as a child and so i was no stranger to that feeling so then it's like i also had a lot of outside like life activities happening as well with like past trauma and trauma related to jiu-jitsu that was like hindering it so it's like burnt out on both ends you know it's like jiu-jitsu was where I would, you would go to feel better about it and like it's the thing you love but when you're getting burnt on both ends is like there's no middle ground there's no enjoyment in life because i made jujitsu almost like a job and then like no enjoyment anymore and then in life i had no more enjoyment either so there was like there was basically no like joy or positivity happening anywhere in my life it's interesting you bring that up because i've heard that old adage about how if you love something, don't make a job out of it because then you're going to hate that thing. <laughs> and, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, it sounds similar to what you're talking about here because, I mean, I remember, granted, I, I do jujitsu for fun, right? But I remember when I started jujitsu, it was this fun, exciting new thing and there were no expectations on me to be good or bad, right? It was just everyone knows if you're a white belt, you're going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no expectations. You can just go in and have fun. But as you start to get more senior and advanced and as you start to assume coaching responsibilities and people have expectations of you, it's easy for that fun thing to turn into a chore and to kind of lose your passion for something that you otherwise loved. And that's something that I got to be honest, I've struggled with as well. And I don't really have a good answer for it. If you have figured one out, I would love to hear it because I do sometimes feel, and maybe this is just the inevitable after the honeymoon period of anything you love, I sometimes do feel like, man, I wish I could be a white belt again because things were just so much more fun back then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I get that all the time. I, the amount of times after I got my purple belt, I, every time I remember saying, man, I wish I could be a blue belt again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I definitely did have to really pull myself out of there. It was challenging at first. You know, I'm no stranger to pulling myself out of a spot, especially jujitsu related with my past, you know? So, but this one was like a new one. It's like, for me, jujitsu saved my life originally. And so 
I was like already determined. It's like, okay, I know I love jiu-jitsu. I just have to remind myself why. And if I can't remember why, I need to find a new reason. So what really helped was it was really quite recently that I got my passion back for, from it. It was after I lost pans. I needed to like wake myself up basically. Like that was the hardest sauce I'd taken. And I just remember thinking like, I got to find that reason. I got to fix this. And so I talked to my coach and he was like, you gave me this book actually that helped me a lot. It was called The Champion's Mind by Jim Afrimo. I think I'm saying his name right. And, you know, I started reading that just to kind of help a bit. And, you know, it helped a little bit, but then I had to really like dig deep in myself. But what really helped me was going back to like my first ever class in jiu-jitsu and I was remembering why I loved this like so much and I just remember like the community jiu-jitsu gave me that's my biggest thing is the community jiu-jitsu gave me that's what really sparked my love for jiu-jitsu was the people so I told myself like okay every training I'm gonna come in and I'm just gonna start every training by laughing or like talking with my coach or my teammates and so it's just like giving myself those kind of little goals just reminding myself like the biggest reason I started jiu-jitsu going back to like day one basically so that was like the first step and then also the biggest one was accepting that I wasn't okay which I think a lot of people especially jiu-jitsu athletes struggle with is to accept their own mental health I think that's one big thing so I told myself I'd accept I'm not okay and I had to accept that I can't control like any outside life events, but I can control like the future. Yeah. So for sure, just accepting that my mental health wasn't okay and acknowledging that is what helped me get past it because it gave me the peace to remember that. And I had to start giving myself these reminders and just trying to learn to be less self-critical in training. And my biggest thing was comparison. I knew like comparing myself to my training partners was not good for me at that time because I think a lot of people, especially they'll compare themselves to a teammate who let's say has been training longer or or is way bigger than you. Like for me, I'm the smallest person in the training room usually. So for me, I'm like, in my mind, I was like, okay, man, I lost to the, like I have one teammate. She's so, so strong. And every time I roll with her, I'm like, man, like I suck. She passed my guard like three times. And I couldn't do anything. And then I have to tell myself, like, I used to believe I was like, strength doesn't matter at all. Because people, you know, people say that in jiu-jitsu, like, man, strength doesn't matter at all. (laughs) And I'm like, listen, when you weigh 100 pounds or like 105 pounds, you can talk. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like just learning to correctly compare yourself, basically, I guess, in a sense. It's funny. Everyone I know who plays that card about how, oh, strength doesn't matter. It's always people over 200 pounds. It's never a like rooster weight who tells you, oh, strength doesn't matter if your technique is good enough. And I used to believe that too. That's why, because I was so critical of myself. I was in that crazy mindset where I was like, man, they're like, you know, heavier than me or stronger than me, but that shouldn't matter. I should be able to kill them. Like I should be that good. And then I had to learn. I was like, man, why would I want to be the person in training killing everybody? Because, you know, it's a classic saying, you don't want to be like the best in the room, in a sense, because then how are you going to get better, you know? So really just working on the thing of the biggest one was accepting that you aren't okay. And then going back to the basics, like I reminded myself the biggest reason that I started Jiu-Jitsu and what made me fall in love for it. And personally for me was then 
using that and just focusing on that and then slowly by slowly kind of rebuilding like my love like going basically like back to when I was a white belt you know like you were saying like how you wish you go back to a white belt that's kind of what I had to did like I had to go back to like the white belt mindset like the honeymoon mindset in order to like re-spark my love for jiu-jitsu so I had to come into the gym every day with like kind of a new mindset like you know like a happy little like white belt like oh I get to go train you know talk to my friends but still being like but I gotta like you know like porjada because you know I gotta get ready for worlds and stuff (laughs) yeah it's hard to balance and I talk to a lot of competitors who have similar problems and this is always something that blew my mind when I started talking to really high level jujitsu athletes It's normal for someone who does this casually to have some degree of self-doubt. And honestly, it's it's really nothing to be self-critical over. It's just a reality of life. If you are training this hobby for fun once or twice a week, you just shouldn't simply expect yourself to be able to roll in there and beat people who are doing this professionally, right? That's not a a judgment. It's just reality. That's just how you've prioritized jujitsu in your life. And it's totally fine. But I was very surprised when I started talking to a lot of elite athletes and multiple time world champions who would tell me confidentially, you know, Steve, I'm a fucking mess. (laughs) Like, I I don't think I'm any good. I think I'm terrible. I, you know, I've had people who have been just nervous wrecks coming on this podcast of all things. That that was me before. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, just people who have gone onto the world stage and done things I could never imagine doing, you know, racking up wins at that level. But then my dumbass hobby cast intimidates them. It's just it's interesting how this is just such a fact of human nature. We all have these doubts. And I think it's important to talk more openly about them like you are, because Otherwise, people think they're weird or that there's something wrong with them if they're battling with self-doubt or they're they're overly comparing themselves to others. And like you said, you have to accept that there is an issue before you ever have a chance at resolving it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, that's what I did a lot with. Like, I've always been like that since I was little with anything. You know, it's like the comparison of it and the lack of self-confidence. Actually, I like for me, jujitsu like gave me a lot of confidence before I was like the competitor because it gave me that community. So like I kind of like got that confidence. But for so many yeah, competitors, it's like you just see the jujitsu. Like you just see their fantastic jujitsu, but you don't see what goes on behind the scenes. Like you don't see the tears of like the sweat they put into the training. You just see like the pretty parts. Unless they kind of, you know, open up about it, which now more jujitsu athletes are like doing it. Like I just saw an interview like Jessica Khan did. It's like she opened up. She almost changed careers before she just won this world at Light Feather. So it's like that's the stuff you don't see from those high level competitors. But now, the more and more we talk about it, the more we see that these people are actually, you know, are normal people as well, you know, <laughs> and they struggle just as much, you know, as we do. And that's where I found myself doing is I was like, man, like, am I supposed to like be hating myself this much in training? And I'm like, am I supposed to be like doing all this? And my biggest issue also was um, I wouldn't talk to people about it because, you know, I'm a very like fix it my own kind of person kind of like that so like I would hold it all in and then it'd just be days in training I would like be breaking down crying because I would like be like I can't do this like I'm awful like I can't even do this basic sweep on somebody like I can't win any rounds and it would just like turn to me just like blowing up in the training like crying because I felt that like no confidence so that was another big thing was talking with my coaches and they were great to this about me you know, my coaches, he, they believe heavily in mental health and have always helped me there. So I'm very lucky with that. 
So just being able to talk with my teammates and feel safe with them, you know, to let them know like, man, I'm not okay, but I'm going to keep going. And I think that's so important is the communication aspect as well um, between like teammates and coaches as well. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that concept of uh, psychological safety on the podcast before. It's a, a very important organizational concept of encouraging people to feel like they can safely and openly talk about anything without judgment or ridicule or reprisal or consequences. This is very important if you're doing anything creative. It's very important if you're part of any sort of collaborative team. And it's also very important in the jiu-jitsu space as well because the alternative is suffering in silence. And that doesn't work, right? If (laughs) if the only person who knows about your problem is you and you're just spending all of that time just going over this over and over and over again in your own head, you're just not getting the help you need. There's no path out, right? The path out is usually through other people. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest lessons I had to learn personally as well was the biggest, like I had to go to people when I needed help, you know, I had to go and open up with that or else, you know, it all kind of explodes. And so basically, yeah, it's like how I kind of had to get myself out of that slump with just reminding myself like who I am, what my values are. And, you know, it's like, why do I like, why do I, Mandy, like, why do I want to keep training jiu-jitsu? Why do I want to keep fighting? And for me personally, it's like my reasons was like, you know, I did go through like an assault from a coach related to jiu-jitsu. So for me, one of my reasons was I want to keep training because I want to prove to myself like I I can keep doing this and I can do this for other people as well and then it's like also just the love I have for jiu-jitsu like I just would watch jiu-jitsu videos I just remind myself like how cool jiu-jitsu is and how lucky I am to like be here doing it so I think like anytime someone goes through those kind of like it's normal to go through those highs and lows but when you're just experiencing like a low after low after low you know, you're kind of like, man, is there ever going to be like a high? Like, am I ever going to get out of here? And that was me for like the longest time until like, I think it was like two, maybe two months ago now. It was like right before the world. So I was like, man, I, I don't know, like if jujitsu is like for me anymore, I'm like, I'm experiencing just this low after low. Like I, I was on like a losing streak for like after Nogi Worlds, I couldn't get out of it. And it was just mainly the mentality part of like, I can't like, I'm not like these high level competitors. I'm not winning i'm not doing perfect rounds in training so really i kind of came out of that by just going back to the basics of like why i love jiu-jitsu and then just finding new reasons to love it as well like (laughs) it was odd enough most people they hate cutting weight (laughs) but oddly enough i was so focused on my actual technique and like jiu-jitsu i used to fight the light feather which i still will do but i was like so hyper focused on like my actual technique in jiu-jitsu and then my coach was like you know what mandy he's like you have two options you can fight the world at life feather and not have to like cut weight and worry or you can try and cut weight to rooster and you know see how you do there and i was like i don't even know if that'd be possible because i'm like i'm really tall man and he was like no you can do it so oddly enough like i was like let me give myself a new challenge you know, something that's not just related to like my actual jiu-jitsu. So like cutting weight in a sense, like that kind of gave me a new challenge because I was like, let me see if I can do this. So like finding new ways to challenge yourself 
in and outside of training. Like it gave me a whole new mindset on discipline as well. So I think that was also a big thing as well. Now, not everybody has to cut weight, but (laughs) (laughs) it was just like finding a new challenge basically too. You know, I got to say, I don't know your coach personally, but they sound like a really clever person because what they did there was a, a really brilliant way to reframe a problem, right? They gave you options, but notice that none of those options was just give up and quit or go back home and forget about it, right? They, they gave you a few different options that would move you forward and that gives you agency because now you have a choice, right? And whenever you have a choice, it feels like there's a future here. There's a path. I have control of the situation and they gave you options that you could choose from, but none of those options were self-destructive or none of those options involved giving up. So that was a really clever coaching strategy that they employed there. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I don't know if he meant to do that or not, but I was like, man, it worked (laughs) because I was, then I became just motivated. Like once I saw myself, like once I reminded myself of the values and once I told myself like, no, I'm going to make this weight cut and I'm going to compete at this. It gave me like a new goal. It kind of like reignited, like I finally felt like my old self again. And he also was the same coach who recommended me to read the Mateos, the one who gave me my purple belt. He was also ones who uh, reminded me to read the book called The Champion's Mind. Just, you know, again, to like learn more about like my mentality. You know, it's like, you know, it's like every athlete needs to know how to control their mindset when they compete. For me, that was my biggest struggle. And now finally, you know, I'm learning how to do that and control like my emotions and everything like that. Really, it was like reignited my love for jujitsu. And I started like training for worlds in the camps. I started cutting the weight. And I started just coming in every day to training, giving myself new little challenges. Like if I came into training in a day, I'd have to tell myself, okay, what's my goal for today? Like, and it would be a mindset goal. It would be when I have like an invasive thought basically coming in, I would tell myself to recognize the invasive thought and combat it. Like mid roll, I'd have to like combat the invasive thought with like some kind of like mantra or I would say something to like get rid of that negative thought because I could do something wrong like mid-roll my mindset would go like oh you suck like you made a mistake you're not good enough and I would tell my that I have to learn how to tell myself like mid-match be like nope I made a mistake is what is I'm not gonna make the same mistake again so it was really like my whole like world for training for camp was like working a lot of my mindset as well and learning how to train my mind like while rolling because my mind was so like negative so it was really a lot of that something that i've always found helpful because this is unfortunately this is one of the things about depression right yeah for most people when things are going well your natural inclination is to go out there and connect with the world and be with people but when things are going poorly for a lot of us our natural inclination is to retreat inside ourselves and to kind of shut things down and close ourselves off. And the problem is that is the exact behavior that depression thrives on, right? Exactly. That's why depression is so devastating is because it creates a downward spiral where it becomes very hard for you to go out and connect with people and do the things that will pull you out of the depression. Yeah. We had Dr. David Lay on the podcast talking about that a while ago, who, in addition to being a uh, prominent clinical psychologist, is also with jiu-jitsu black belt and he had some great thoughts on this but i also love what you're talking about dealing with negative self-talk intrusive thoughts are something that everyone deals with and something that i've found personally is 
it's very hard, at least for me, to just turn off intrusive thoughts. You know, if you're thinking negative, you can't just stop thinking about something. There's yeah. actually a kind of a famous concept that they call the law of contrast. And the idea is if I tell you not to think about something, you can't help but think about it, right? The common example being if I say, Mandy, don't think of a pink elephant. I guarantee you just thought of a pink elephant, right? <laughs> I just thought of it, yeah. yeah. So, so the trick with a lot of intrusive thoughts and negative self-talk is you can't stop yourself necessarily from thinking those things, but what you can do is focus your attention on positive things and just overwhelm yourself internally with positivity. Just rather than thinking to myself, don't think this, don't think this, to instead pick something good and productive and think about that and just drown out the negative thoughts. That I've always found to be helpful for me at least. I'd be curious to know if you've got any similar strategies or things like that that you do in that kind of situation. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely like relaying that, like like you said in depression, it's like you want to pull yourself away and like you got to learn how to combat the negative thoughts. For me, I did learn a lot of good strategies from the book I was reading, but also it was just kind of like experimenting what, because everyone's different, you know, everyone has to kind of experiment what works with themselves. But for me, I think how I can combat the negative thoughts is for me, I'm a very logical person. So I combated my negative thoughts like around training with logic. That was for me the only way I could do it. So let's say like, again, like I'm getting beaten in by like in the rounds and everything like that. And I'm like, man, why is like my teammate just like crushing me all the time? And I'd be like, okay, no, it's not because your spider lasso sucks. It's because like they're stronger than you. They're bigger than you. Of course, it's going to be harder, you know? So it's like, for me, I had to use logic and reasoning to kind of contrast the emotional side. Because I'm also a very emotional person. So all that negative self-talk I recognized was unlogical because it was just negative emotions, you know? So then I was like, how can I combat this negative, unlogical thinking? Oh, I can combat it with actual, like, logical thought. That was just kind of how my my mindset worked as well. Because again, it's like all that negative self-talk that was happening was unlogical. It was just my mind was finding any way to destroy myself. So I'd say that's probably, it's kind of like that, you know, that's kind of what worked for me, I guess. Yeah, it's it's so tricky when you're dealing with a mental health issue because, look, if you're talking about a physical health issue, there's a playbook for that, right? If you break your leg, exactly, yeah. we know exactly what we have to do to get you back onto the mats, right? That's a solvable problem. But if you're having a mental health issue, it's so, you know, mental health can be so mysterious and hard to pin down and so variable from person to person it can be a bit intimidating because you don't even know where to start. Yeah. I mean, if you were to go to the mats today and break your arm, you would know exactly what you have to do and exactly how to get better and exactly when you could come back. Yeah. But if you're going through a massive depressive bout, it's not that simple. No, I think especially too, is a lot of people don't recognize when they're going through any kind of like mental health issue and when they're training, especially athletes. But it's like, where do you start? For me, it was starting and recognizing that it's an issue and it's affecting me because it used I used to believe like my mental health like it shouldn't affect my training this much like and I didn't acknowledge it and when I didn't acknowledge any time I was feeling like a depressive episode or I was feeling a lot of anxiety or I was experiencing a lot of like negative self-critical thoughts I would just break down in, in training so it was like where do you start it's like I, I think you just have to start by acknowledging when you're feeling like that because if you don't acknowledge it, you naturally suppress it and say, let me just get through it. It's like, no, you acknowledge it. And that way you're self-aware. Like when you're self-aware, you can combat those negative thoughts 
way easier. If I know today I'm experiencing a lot of like I'm having an episode or I'm really negative today, I'm going to be self-aware of that and I'm going to be able to combat that a bit easier. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, right? Kind of being able to almost take a step back and look at yourself from a another perspective and just understand that this is an emotion that I'm dealing with right now. It doesn't necessarily define me and just coming to terms with the fact that, okay, this is happening. This exists. How do we go about fixing it? Because I think part of the problem like you said, is when you're always depressed or when you're depressed over a long-term period, it just starts to feel normal, right? It doesn't feel unusual anymore. It feels like that's just what life is. And that's the worst place to be. Yeah. And I, that's what I thought too. I thought this is my normal. And I fully believe that this is how I was going to feel for a long time. Cause I was, it was, again, it was like experiencing just lows and lows and lows. And it wasn't until recently, I finally felt like myself again. And I finally found that joy again in that reminder of this is why I want to train. This is why I want to do it. And I even actually had teammates telling me recently too, like even when I was cutting weight, they're like, man, like you feel so strong. Like you feel like faster. Like you feel like you look healthy, like you look brighter. And I'm like, thanks, but I'm like trying to cut like 10 pounds here. But if I look healthy, cool. But it was because it wasn't the physical appearance. It was because your mental health state certainly affects your body. And I remember feeling like like a slug. Like I felt like I would describe myself in training. I'm like, man, I'm like a sloth. Like I don't want to get up. I don't want to sleep. Like because your mental health, especially depression, it affects you physically as well. And so once I started to combat that, even though I was like cutting weight as well, people are like, you are like glowing. And I'm like, it's because like I'm positive. Like I'm myself again. You know, it's like I had that fire back in me as well. So here's the thing that I always worry about with my athlete friends, right? Being a jujitsu competitor is a hard full-time job. The standards are just so high for it. You know, no one expects a desk worker to be in the top 1% of their industry, right? But in jujitsu, we expect our competitors to be the absolute best of the best. And anything other than gold is something that we criticize them for, which is unfair and stupid, in my opinion. But that is often how at least athletes feel about themselves, that is gold or bust. And the problem is not everyone can win gold all the time. So there's going to be a lot of very disappointed, upset people. So with that said, with the knowledge that losses are inevitable, I mean, how do we deal with that, right? Because we all know anyone who competes, if they compete long enough, they're going to lose. It's going to happen. So you can't let that define you. You have to be resilient, but that's way easier said than done. How do you go about dealing with that mentally? You know, when you have that really hard loss, what do you do to kind of rebound and get back on the horse? Oh, I have a great example for you too, because I just fought the world. (laughs) So yeah, definitely it's like, you know, we expect our athletes to be the best and I expect myself to be the best. And it's like, we are like that in jiu-jitsu especially. It's like gold is the only one that we care about essentially is like that. And especially for athletes, if you didn't get gold, ah, whatever, you know? So for me, you know, that was kind of my mentality too, but you got to look at all aspects of it, you know, because there's so many people who are putting in the same amount of work dedication that you are as well. You know, so it's like, I just fought the worlds. I had the most incredible camp ever. I felt great, like cut weight, felt great. My mentality was the best it ever been. Everyone was expecting me to do well, to, you know, do better than when I did, you know, at PANS because I was mentally ready, you know, and I actually lost like 
think my second round I had like I won my first fight and I actually lost my second round at Worlds and for me this like just happened like what was I fought on Saturday today's Tuesday yeah and so for me that was just like devastating in the moment I think because you know it's like we scheduled this interview before I had fought Worlds and I was like so motivated to talk about mentality because I was like yeah my mind is great like I figured out a way how to you know come back and then I just lost the Worlds and I was like man I did everything like I could. I did everything right. I fixed my mindset. I felt it like that day, but it wasn't my day. I lost. And so coming back, dealing for a loss, like an athlete after taking a hard loss, for me, it was knowing that I did everything I could. And this is one thing that one of the professors at our gym, Bruno, is big on. He said, if you do everything you can in your camp, your nutrition, your physical preparation you can go in to competition with peace knowing you did everything you can and if you give it your all there like when you lose you essentially it's like you knowing that i did everything i could to prepare but it wasn't enough that day you know it was like it wasn't enough this time but it was for me it's having that peace knowing that man you know what the unexpected happened yes but I did everything I could. Like I gave up my life for like five weeks for this tournament. But I had that peace knowing I did everything I could, even though it wasn't enough. I had that inner peace knowing I did everything I could. And now I got to come back and do it all over again, but better, you know? And it was very hard as well because, you know, it's like you don't have the gold, you don't even have a medal. You know, I did have that negative day for a little bit, you know, that negative thought, you know, being like disappointed, being like, oh, I lost. I suck, like nobody cares, but it didn't last long because again, like my mindset was so sharp. I recognized that I did everything I could and it wasn't enough. And that's okay to an extent as long as I come back from it, like and learn. Yeah, I love that idea just of understanding that the result on one particular day doesn't define you and isn't who you are. Just Shit happens, right, on any given day. The example I always give on this is um, there was a legendary moment in UFC history where Kevin Randleman, I believe he was supposed to fight Pedro Hizzo or something, and mm-hmm. Kevin was the champion at the time, and on the way out to the ring, he slipped, knocked himself out, fight was off. Like, he probably would have won that fight. Kevin Randleman was a literally a monster back at the time, right? I mean, he was a scary yeah. dude. Knocked himself out on the way to the ring. Fight never happened. Like, you can never know what's going to happen. And I think the, the mistake a lot of athletes make is they let their wins and losses define who they are as a person. So when they lose, they feel like, I am a loser, mm-hmm. rather than what they should be thinking, which is on that particular day, the stars just didn't align for me. That's not yeah. who I am. That was just the result of that one day. And we'll make some changes and we'll try again next time, which I always think is more productive. Definitely. And, you know, especially after that. And then, you know, again, it's different. That's what I'm saying. It's different if, of course, you went into that competition and you knew like, oh, I could have done more. Like, you know, Nate, I should have trained. Like knowing that, oh, I didn't do enough. But if you go into a competition knowing I did everything I could and you lose, you're gonna be able to bounce back way faster than if you go in knowing that, I should have done this. I broke my diet. Maybe I should have worked out more. Like, you know, so being able to go in with that confidence too is very important. But yeah, especially competitors, it's like, it's like, damn, I lost. Like, suck. I'm a loser. But like you said, it's like that guy slipped, hit his head and it's like fights off. So it's like, you never know. It's like, I think it's good to acknowledge like, okay, 
I'm a loser in that match. Yeah, I lost, but I'm not a loser forever. Like I lost today, but you know, like I have so you have a lot ahead of you, you know, especially like me. I had to recognize and like I fought on Saturday and then my birthday was actually the next day. So I was like, okay, so I lost today, but I'm young. Like I got a lot ahead of me and, you know, ultimately my dream goal is to be a black belt world champion. So I think like you got to look at the journey and look at your, the long run. It's a long journey. You know, it's not, not everything is perfect. That's what I really had to understand in my life, especially as like being a perfectionist. Not everything is perfect and I don't want everything to be perfect. You know, perfect is boring. <laughs> well, that's a really good point too, which is people who are perfectionists, and I think all of us have a little bit of this inside ourselves, we think that perfection is a good thing and that therefore, if we're not perfect, it means that something's wrong. But I think you've kind of identified that, look, perfect is a myth. There really is no such thing as perfect, right? It's an unattainable goal. Exactly. And so if you think the right answer is perfection or bust, then what you're saying is I will always be miserable because I will always fail to be good enough to meet my own standards, which is just not a good way to live. Exactly. And that's how I was living, especially with jujitsu. I became so like wrapped up in my head, but like, oh, everything has to be perfect. And a lot of it came from, you know, comparing yourself to people, but it's like, not every, it can't be perfect. If you're expecting everything to be perfect, like you said, like, you're going to be disappointed every single day. Like, I remember being disappointed myself every single day because I wasn't perfect. I'm like, what even is perfect? I was like, what is like, what does that word even mean? Like, you know, it's like, that's why I had to identify. I was like, man, I don't want to be disappointed every day. I just want to do my best every day and, you know, train hard, do what I love, you know, and if it's, not good enough that day. Okay, I'll come back stronger the next time. But yeah, when you're looking constantly striving for perfection, you're also constantly disappointing yourself, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Now, something that you brought up here is the old trap of comparing yourself to others. As the saying goes, comparison is the thief of joy. I think we all do it. I think we all know it's bad. But I think, unfortunately, we generally struggle to stop ourselves from doing that. And it's especially hard in jujitsu where you get such immediate feedback, right? If someone else is better than you or if they're going to beat you, you know, you're going to know that right away. It's going to be public. You're going to see it happen. It's really easy to get into the trap of comparing yourself to people because they literally beat you at something, right? Oh, yeah. So I always want to know, how do you stop doing that? How do you stop comparing yourself to people? Even if you know it's bad, how do you avoid that natural tendency for so many of us to do it anyway, even when we know we shouldn't? So for me, like, it's something I struggle with in all aspects of life. So like, I knew like, okay, I'm comparing myself way too much to like my teammates or this particular person. And I guess my way to combat it was I had to learn how to correctly compare myself because I knew like, I knew like, I can't stop comparing myself, but I just need to learn how to positively or like correctly compare in a sense, because I knew myself, I was like, listen, if I just tell myself, don't compare yourself, like, you know, I'm like, that's not gonna work. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll have to compare myself, but in a positive way. And so instead of saying like, it's just the way you I had to start phrasing things, basically, it's like, or how my perspective, just learning how to shift my perspective. Like if I was rolling with another pearl girl, like I have another pearl bot in the gym, she came to do our camp with us, like, you know, it's, I had to learn how to compare myself to her in a positive way. Instead of being like, oh, my pressure, or I'm not as strong as her, like, I need to learn how to put more pressure like her. Instead of saying, like, I'm not as strong as her, I had to sit, start saying, I'm 
I'm more flexible, but I should learn how to do this. So it's kind of like I'm comparing myself, but I'm learning how to rephrase it and how to correctly compare. So like, I guess that way. It's interesting. There's a, an amazing book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, and she talks about this. She talks about the difference between a, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Yes, and yes. what she says is that you always want to have a growth mindset, and that is where you identify things the way that you described there, where you look at things that you can improve. Mm-hmm. A fixed mindset is where you think you have certain ceilings on the things you can do, and you impose limiting beliefs on yourself, like saying... I'm not athletic or I'm not strong, Mm -hmm. right? That's a fixed mindset. Whereas if you can instead reframe that, so you're asking yourself, okay, well, I think I could be better at this. How do I go about doing this? Then you're looking at yourself as a dynamic entity that can improve. And that's a growth mindset, which is a totally different ballgame. Definitely an important mental shift for anyone to make. For sure. And I think, because that's the thing is like comparison, it's not, I think a lot of us now associate the word comparison like in a negative way. But really, comparison is a powerful tool you can use if you use it correctly. Either way, you're going to compare yourself to somebody. You just have to learn how to positively compare yourself with like a growth mindset, like you're saying, instead of comparing yourself with a fixed mindset. Like if I compare myself, my like if I compare like, okay, my lasso like is not as good as this teammate's. I was like, no, my lasso can be as good as that teammate. I just need to learn how you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a a growth mindset. Yeah. I remember that being a big breakthrough for me where I realized that I was imposing a lot of limiting beliefs on myself. And it's not a matter of, you know, this is my ceiling. This is the limit of what I can do. And it's always going to be like this. It's more, this is where I am right now. And with the right motivation and effort, I can move that needle if I choose to. And that's a big realization that I think most people just don't buy into. We way too easily put limiting labels on ourselves, and that can create a lot of problems down the road, like you've described here. Yeah, for sure. You know, because jujitsu, it's it's a sport you have to grow in. Like that's the only way you get better is by growing. So you have to learn how to correctly learn what kind of mindset works for you and how you can um, apply that, especially. But yeah. Got it. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, Mandy, you mentioned something really interesting, which is that the coaches that you train with were already sort of familiar with ways to help athletes build up their mental confidence and their mental game. And I would argue that you are tremendously lucky there because most coaches don't seem to really think about this that much, right? Most coaches, they're, they're very, very focused on the technique side of things. If you're lucky, maybe they go a little bit beyond that and they incorporate sports science and psychology to some degree. Mm-hmm. But most coaches are, I think, overly focused on technique and not on the mindset side of things. From the perspective of someone who has benefited from this, mm-hmm. what do you think coaches should have in their toolkit when it comes to helping their students, both their competitors and their non-competitors, to just be more confident, happier versions of themselves? Like, is there any training or resources or things that your coaches do that you really wish all of the other coaches out there were doing too? Yeah, for sure. Like you said, I am extremely lucky to have these coaches who definitely care about like mental health and like actually how you are as a student and like how that plays a role but I think it is very important for coaches to understand the mental health of students and how each student is motivated or you know how a student's mental health is going to affect their training and performance ultimately definitely I think for coaches the biggest tool a is to actually care about your students you know if you have a coach who's just kind of like oh you know what Jimmy's kind of you know 
never performs well, you know what, I'm not going to give them much attention. You know, I'm going to give my shining star students the attention. You know, if you have a coach like that, like, they're not going to help you, you know. But um, for coaches who do care about, like, how a mental health can impact their athletes, it's definitely, you know, just by a understanding that every athlete is different. You know, some athletes struggle more openly with it, some don't. But for sure, like, you're a coach and you can understand that you know, when an athlete has an off day or is having some life issues, it's going to affect their training. So my biggest thing too was I am a people pleaser. And I think a lot of athletes are, like especially youth athletes. Like if you're close with your coach or you want you want to always impress your coach, you know, you always want to make them proud. So I would always feel like anytime I did something wrong, my coach would be disappointed in me, even though they weren't. So when my, I asked my coach, I had to ask him, I said, listen, I know you're not disappointed in me when I do this Thing wrong but can you vocalize that to me because my mind is telling me that you're always disappointed in me whenever I do you know something I think is wrong and then he was like of course so being a coach and being able to understand what your student needs especially if they vocalize that to you I think is also very important because I vocalized that I said I think you're always disappointed in me and he's like well I'm not and I'm like okay can you remind me that and he's like yeah and then eventually he didn't have to keep reminding me like because I got over that hurdle by communicating that with him yeah yeah and again I think that unfortunately for a lot of coaches they probably feel that getting into the the human emotional side of things is sort of outside of the scope of their job which I think is absolutely wrong there's a lot more to being a good jujitsu coach than just teaching people techniques there's so much more yeah I think that a good well-rounded coach also is gonna make sure to inform themselves about sports science sports psychology yes. and things like this because yeah sometimes those moments where your coach goes to bat for you or or reinforces the things you're doing that are right that kind of stuff can still stick with you and benefit you a lot more than learning some inverted arm lock that you're never going to use. <laughs> I think it's a problem that jujitsu coaches tend to so hyper-focus on technique. I think also, unfortunately, in some situations, coaches use that as an excuse to get out of other aspects of their job that they should be doing. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier harassment and predatory behavior in gyms. Yeah. I think a big part of the reason why people disregard this so much is because you always hear people say, I don't want to hear about this. I just came here to train. Well, mm -hmm. fuck you if that's your belief. I mean, if there's yeah. a predator in my gym, I, I don't want to just come here and train with them. I want to have them removed and I want to know there was consequences. So I think this hyper-focus on technique is kind of a problem when it comes to coaches. I think the human side is probably more important than just learning the moves. Oh yeah, no, it is for sure. Like you said, like definitely, like I'm no stranger to like, you know, like predators and all that stuff, like in the gym and stuff like that. And in a lot of gyms are as well. So it's like people use that excuse like, oh, I just want, I just came here to train, you know, I just came here to teach. And it's like, well, if you just came here to teach, you're not a coach. Like, I think a lot of jiu-jitsu coaches and even people in general think they're a coach, but it's like, if you really want to be a good coach, you have to equip yourself with the tools necessary. And it's not easy. Like, I even coach kids, but I can't imagine trying to coach like a whole team of like competition, like high level athletes. Like, if you do that, you have to be a real coach. Like you see, like, and other high level like sports like soccer football these coaches are involved like in their athletes most sports teams have a sports psychologist or every athlete will see some kind of psychologist you know 
And I think so for jujitsu coaches, it is so important to learn about the psychology of athletes and, you know, just learn about how mentality is so important in athletes and they need to learn how to care and how to motivate their athletes. Because like you said, like if I'm learning this inverted arm lock that I'm never going to use, you know, it's like, okay, cool. But also it's like, how can I learn this inverted arm lock if my mind is not there? Like if I'm foggy because I'm not confident in my capabilities, you know, as an athlete, like I can't even use this technique because, you know, mentally it's like, I'm not even there understanding it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for sure. A lot of coaches, you know, they are just used to that casual, like, oh, I teach this technique, do that, you know, and, you know, they just are like, I just want to come here to train. But again, it's like, it's more than that. Like you have to understand how much mental health can play a, a factor in, in athletes. But yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we covered a lot here, Mandy. Was there anything that you wanted to get into or bring up that we didn't already talk about here? You're such a great source of information here. So if there's anything else that you want to share, please do go ahead. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I think, yeah, we covered a lot. I mean, actually, honestly, it's like learning all of this is actually, like, it even inspired me too. It's like, I, like, I'm going to school to study psychology, be a sports psychologist as well, like next this year. So it's kind of like learning all about all of this, doing all this really helps me as an athlete and kind of get back to myself so i really hope um whatever i shared today was was good you know i was quite nervous before this <laughs> but um, hopefully it was all good and everything like that <laughs> i thought it was amazing but hey mandy if people want to ask you questions if they want to work with you if they want to check out any content you've made how do they go about finding you yeah really it's instagram is probably the best one as well i only use my instagram is mandy and schneider so yeah if everyone they can contact me there and everything like that but yeah Amazing. Well, as I always do, I'll put the link in the show notes. If people are like me, they probably have fat fingers and they can't type properly on their phone. So I'll keep it easy. Just go into the show notes. I'll link out to Mandy's Instagram. I'll also link out to those books that we talked about here. Both of them, amazing resources. Yeah. For those who don't know, everything that we make and we do is on bjjmentalmodels.com. So if you like this episode and you want like 235 more just like it that's where you go to get it <laughs> that's also where you sign up for our newsletter and of course all of this is powered by our premium service if you go to bjjmentalmodels.com that's how you can learn more about that and sign up for that as well it's what keeps the lights on here on the show there's hundreds of people who are already subscribed and get tons of value out of it for those who don't know premium means that you get a full library of audio jujitsu courses on concepts strategy tactics the kind of stuff that's really just hard to show in a typical jujitsu video instructional you also get direct coaching from our awesome black belt review team i mentioned in the last week's episode we just onboarded josh mckinney onto the team so we've got some amazing people on there who will give you direct feedback based on your rolling usually at a level of detail that you're just not going to get anywhere else and you also get to be part of our amazing community which i'm just so proud of it's probably my favorite thing that we do is the community that we've built so again if you're not already a premium subscriber please do consider it you can get all of that at bj jjmentalmodels.com and again i'll put a link in the show notes so just to make it easy for everyone but mandy thanks so much for coming by yeah thanks so much for having me i'm so happy to have you and i'm really glad to hear that things are going well i always love having these open honest conversations because i can tell you like there's there's a lot of people out there going through the same thing yeah and knowing that they're not alone makes a big difference i think all of us go through this kind of stuff to some degree at some point so Definitely. advocacy is just so key especially in the sport 
it is yeah 100 and that's my biggest standing is advocacy so yeah for sure thank you so much for having me too it was great amazing well thanks again and thanks to the listeners as well always appreciate you guys hanging out with us we'll talk to you next time take care